Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the news and issues shaping the state. In this episode, we examine the roadblocks in Missouri's push to legalize sports betting. Then, we dive into the evolution of Missouri's rural economies and their biggest challenges. My name is DC Benincasa, and I am again joined by my co-host Ian Laird. How are you doing this week? I'm doing great. Crazy that it's already May and the summer is coming up. Do you have any exciting plans? Well, I'm moving to Chicago this summer, and I'm absolutely scrambling looking for apartments right now. That's such an exciting city. Plenty of sports and places to go in the Windy City, so I'm sure you'll never be bored. Yep, you got any fun plans this summer? Things are lining up so that I might end up in Santa Fe this summer, but right now nothing is set in stone. So not the same neck of the woods as Chicago, but definitely sounds really exciting. All right, enough summer talk. You ready to get into headlines? Yep, you're up first. With the end of the legislative session approaching, hope to legalize recreational marijuana is running out. Ron Hicks, a Republican from Defiance, is the sponsor of a bill to legalize recreational marijuana, and he says the legislation is dead. However, the initiative petition legalization effort has ramped up in recent months. Legal Missouri 2022 has collected more than 325,000 signatures, nearly doubling the minimum requirement. If enough of these signatures are valid and the campaign turns in signatures from six of eight congressional districts, Missourians will vote on recreational marijuana in November. After reports surfaced that the Supreme Court could overturn Roe v. Wade, abortion clinics in states that would still allow the procedure are bracing for more patients. Missouri is one of 12 states with so-called trigger laws that would make abortion illegal if Roe is overturned. So, clinics in states like Illinois, which would still allow abortions, are expecting an influx of patients from states like Missouri. Abortion clinics on the Illinois side of the St. Louis metro area would expect to see up to 15,000 additional patients per year. Currently, those clinics serve roughly 6,000 patients per year. Along with concerns about adjusting to the wave of patients, Health officials are worried that restricting abortion access would disproportionately affect low-income patients, who may be unable to afford the travel expenses and medical bills. As expected, the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates another half percentage point in an attempt to bring down inflation that's at its highest level in four decades. It's the biggest rate hike since 2000, and more increases the rest of the year are expected in an effort to cool down the economy. Some economists are concerned that the rate hikes could lead to a recession, but Fed Chair Jerome Powell says that a strong job market, rising wages, and steady investment all show that the economy is far from a recession. St. Louis Federal Reserve Bank President James Bullard has advocated for aggressive rate hikes and said last month that the central bank will continue to raise interest rates to as high as 3.5% by the second half of the year to curb inflation. After announcing a joint venture in September, St. Louis-area grain company Bungie and energy giant Chevron officially launched their partnership Monday. The venture will be called Bungie Chevron Ag Renewables. In the deal, the energy company is investing $600 million in two Bungie facilities, and Bungie will supply grain to Chevron for making low-carbon fuels. Chevron's investment is expected to double the two facilities' production by the end of 2024. The launch comes after Bungie entered into a partnership last week with St. Louis ag tech startup Covercrest to process grain from the company's newly created crop to develop renewable fuels.
first story, we are going to look at an issue that's been talked about a lot in Missouri's legislative session this year, sports gambling. We are joined by Missouri Business Alert reporter Nate Marcus. Thanks for joining us, Nate. Of course. Thanks for having me. This is an issue that's really picked up speed around the country in the last few years, right, Nate? The Supreme Court struck down a federal law against wagering on sporting events in 2018, and since then, more than 30 states have legalized some form of sports gambling. And Missouri's state rival Kansas is expected to sign sports gambling legislation into law this week. The likelihood of Missouri sport legalizing sports gambling is fading as their legislative session ends May 13th. What's holding up getting sports betting passed? Well, the Missouri House approved a sports betting bill in March, but the legislation is stalling in the Senate because of disagreements from two parties, casino operators and companies that operate video lottery terminals, or VLTs. Initially, the House approved a bill that just allowed sports betting through casinos with an 8% tax rate. The Senate version bumped the tax rate to 10%, but what really screeched the bill to a halt was when the Senate also added approval for 5,000 video gambling terminals, which would be operated by the Missouri Lottery. And why don't casinos want to include terminals in the bill? Casinos don't want these terminals to take away from their business because they're in easily accessible locations like truck stops, veteran halls, and fraternal clubs. It could be easier for some customers to just bet on a video lottery terminal at a gas station rather than go to a casino. The casinos and all of Missouri's major professional sports teams negotiated their own legislation together, allowing gambling to place bets on a game at a casino by using a licensed online platform such as FanDuel or DraftKings. Here's Representative Dan Hawks, a Republican from Warrensburg and the sponsor of the bill. So this is the first time we've had a coalition of uh, all our professional sports team from soccer to Major League Baseball to NFL, um, all on the same board along with five of our six casinos. Got it. That makes sense. And operators of these machines want to be included in the bill because they don't want the casinos to get a new source of revenue that's not available to them? Exactly. There is also a third group of stakeholders in the deal, companies that have installed thousands of unregulated machines around the state. They have been referred to as gray market games, operating in between the classic slot-style machines and regulated games offered by casinos and VLTs. What's the difference between a casino slot machine and these unregulated games? The key difference is that the unregulated games have a feature that allows a player to see if their next bet will be a winner or a loser. If a loser, the player can withdraw their money, canceling the bet, or change games or wagered amounts in search of a winner. And what's the owners of these unregulated games' opinion on the legislation? The owners of these unregulated machines don't want anything to pass at all, because if sports betting legislation is passed, it could lead to a bigger effort to crack down and regulate their devices. Obviously, legalizing sports betting would give Missourians the freedom to wager their money, but what else would passing the legislation do for the state? Hawks says sports betting would generate funds for Missouri's public schools, according to a staff fiscal analysis. Uh, Roughly right now, the way this bill is set up with uh, 8% tax rate would be roughly $10 million. In addition, a report paid for by Advocates for Video Lottery Terminals indicates that approving video lotteries for sports betting would produce more than 10 times the new state revenue of sports wagering from casinos. Let's consider the impact of Missouri not passing sports betting by looking at other states in the region. I know we mentioned Kansas earlier, so now almost all of Missouri's bordering states will have legalized sports betting, right? Yep. Kentucky is the only one of Missouri's eight bordering states that won't have legal sports wagering, assuming that Kansas bill becomes a law. So, Missouri lawmakers and sports betting advocates are concerned that if the state doesn't legalize it, the state will lose out on revenue opportunities when Missourians travel across state lines to play sports bets. And there's one more thing we should talk about in Kansas's legislation. The Kansas City Chiefs. Yes. Kansas's bill includes a provision allocating 80% of state revenue from sports gambling to a state fund that could be used to establish a professional sports facility in Kansas. The detail is important because the Kansas City Chiefs has signaled they are open to the possibility of a new stadium, and this incentive could lure them over the state line. And why would this be important? 
If the team crosses state lines, sales tax revenue from the organization would go to Kansas, not Missouri. So the state would lose out on millions of dollars in tax revenue. Well, we will see if Patrick Mahomes and company stay in the show-me state. How much time do we have left in the legislative session for Missouri to figure out sports betting? The session ends on May 13th when the legislation got brought up in the Senate last week. It led to a three-hour filibuster and got no further progress. So if the issue remains at stalemate, we might have to wait until next year for the state to take up sports betting again. I guess we will just have to wait and see. Thank you again for being with us today, Nate. Of course. Thanks for having me. For our next story, we are going to look at the evolution of rural economies over time. What made you look into this story? Well, this story is part of a larger project done by a team of reporters from newsrooms across the Missouri School of Journalism. My team and I have explored the challenges rural Missourians face and the explanations for these obstacles. Our project also looks at the policies and programs that have allowed rural communities to prosper. It's important for media outlets to cover rural communities, so I'm glad you got to be a part of this team. What subjects has your team focused on? We've examined a multitude of topics, including the consolidation of farming in the state, hospital closures, and a story about the migration of Hispanic workers to Milan, Missouri. Our project specifically focused on Cheriton and Sullivan counties, but rural communities around the state experience many of the same issues along with those areas. I'm excited to read the rest of the stories when they're published. So we're looking at the ways rural economies have changed for this story, right? Yep. I spoke with Sarah Lowe. She is a professor of regional economics at the University of Missouri College of Agriculture, Food, and Natural Resources, and her research focuses on policies to spur rural development. We talked about the way rural economies in Missouri have changed over time and the biggest challenges they face. Hi, good morning, Dr. Lowe. How are you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much uh, for, for taking the time to meet with me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Could you maybe highlight, just outline a little bit how rural economies have changed in in the last several decades um, to kind of get to this point where we're seeing like strong population loss, loss of housing? How, how have we really gotten to this point? Agriculture and manufacturing are industries that um, produce things in rural Missouri that are sold outside of rural Missouri. And so they bring money into rural Missouri. As we shifted to a more service-based economy in rural Missouri, i.e. serving the local population, we no longer have that money from outside the region coming into the region, okay? So as we're shifting now, now the, you know, with, as manufacturing and agriculture become smaller parts of the rural economy, healthcare, uh, teachers, uh, the grocery store, the, the essentials of life in rural America became more of the economic base or the economy in rural Missouri. So what are some reasons and some factors that are explaining Missouri rural communities struggling in this transition from relying on agriculture and manufacturing businesses to a more service-oriented economy? So if you look at what we call, this is a jargony term, rural agglomeration, but essentially Are people in rural areas spaced out evenly all over, or are they concentrated in small villages? So places like Ohio and Iowa are on the more concentrated end. Um, Zoning and planning has said we need to save land for farms. And so if you want to live in a rural area and you're not on a farm, you need to live in in a village. 
And that has been really good for the economy in Iowa and Ohio because it led to these um, pre-automobile downtowns. So how many small towns in Missouri have you seen that have a quaint little downtown? Not many compared to Ohio and Iowa and other similar states, okay? So um, so we are losing because now people want to live in a quaint downtown that's walkable to a Starbucks, that has some things going on. It's this cultural amenity stuff. Okay, so Missouri didn't do that. Missouri, you can build a house anywhere, so everybody's all spread out. Is the lack of available housing and, and kind of this decline of available housing in Missouri, is it because of – is it, is it because we don't have the housing communities in place like apartments or, you know, maybe something that are more suburban and urban trademarks as like apartments and like little villages and whatnot? What what would be the biggest driver of, of kind of a decline in housing? And in rural America, I think there is often enough houses because we've got this population loss, right? They're not the kind of houses that people who are moving to a rural area want to live in in a little ways we got spoiled with hgtv and so now all 22 year olds think they deserve a house with granite countertops but okay i got granite countertops in my house not that long ago the cost of granite countertops in a house the cost of granite housing the cost of granite countertops is more than a house in most houses in sullivan county so like granite countertops like fifty to sixty thousand dollars you can buy a whole house in Sullivan County for fifty or sixty thousand dollars. So people, people's housing expectations have changed a lot in the last twenty years, and so the rural housing stock. There's very little new housing in rural areas. The rural housing stock tends to be hundred-year-old houses. They don't have closets. They don't have air conditioning, and they most certainly don't have granite countertops because they would countertops would cost more than the house and the land themselves. So uh, I think the biggest issue really is. Um, quality. Is there any other programs you think that we haven't really hit on or any other policies that can that can kind of help help draw in? I, I hate to say the right kind of, but, you know, the, the big drivers that can really help start to turn the beat around uh, with some of these rural yeah. economies. So kind of what we've learned since the 19, 1950s. Wow, that was a long time ago. That top down economic development does not work very well in rural areas. This is the, this is, this by the way is the linchpin of our entire one hour conversation. Top down does not work very well in rural communities. Bottom up works really well in rural communities. But really, I think the big forward looking thing is we need more policies and programs that are bottom up that allow the communities to decide what they want to invest in and how important things are to them. And the communities that I work with in my role with MU Extension, The communities that had a lot of community involvement and community leadership and they really want to make their communities and their economy better, they do great things. So, um, so it's bottom up. It's got to be customized to each community, but at the, at the heart of everything is kind of who's the, who's the leader? Who's doing interesting? Who's going to, who's going to convene people around the table to say, Hey, what do we need to do to get the county commissioners to raise our rates to tax us more so we have better schools? What are we going to do to get the hospital to not close the local clinic? Because healthcare and K-12 education are really important to attracting and retaining people. Thank you so much for your time today. Nice to meet you, DC.
It is now time for our first word of the week. Ian, what do you have for us? This week I'm going with co-living. What does that mean? It's a term referenced in an ordinance from the City Council of Shawnee, Kansas, banning certain living arrangements. What makes a living situation co-living? Shawnee defined it as having four more unrelated people above the age of 18 living in a home together. I assume there's been plenty of reaction to this decision. What are we seeing so far in terms of a response? The law was met with a lot of backlash from people who see it as essentially placing a ban on roommates. For many people who fall under the current definition of co-living, the arrangement is one of the only ways to keep housing costs down. The law is seen as disproportionately affecting working-class individuals who are struggling in a market where housing costs continue to rise. What have you chosen for Word of the Week? I have chosen bird flu. Interesting. What's going on with that? There have been reports of bird flu outbreaks across the country that have led to the culling of a lot of flocks on poultry farms. What sort of effect could this be having on pricing? The U.S. was already dealing with a bit of a tight supply for chicken, and this avian flu is expected to make the situation worse. The near 100% mortality rate for birds with this flu, along with high transmission rates among chickens and turkeys, means once one case is detected in a flock, the entire flock is often killed. So far, 29 states have seen incidents of the flu, and 35 million birds have been affected. As a result, the U.S. Department of Agriculture projects the price of poultry products will jump 6 to 8 percent over the course of the year. How is Missouri being affected? Are we one of the 29 states that has seen an outbreak? Missouri has been touched by the bird flu, but not to the extent that a lot of other states have been. Only six commercial flocks and three backyard flocks had been affected according to the USDA, resulting in about 430,000 birds being infected. The state legislature has also proposed setting aside $2.5 million to help farmers cull flocks that are infected, as federal aid for poultry producers has yet to materialize. While Missouri hasn't borne the brunt of this outbreak so far, this will definitely be an issue to monitor going forward. Absolutely. And with that, we head into our closing thought. Here is Sarah Lowe, the rural economist you heard from earlier, talking about the importance of creating policies that develop and help rural communities. I grew up poor in a rural area, so I'm really passionate. I am here because I want to help um, primarily disadvantaged people in in rural America. Um, I'm really passionate about farmers, about farm families, rural households, rural families, healthcare, housing, jobs, entrepreneurship. Um, they're all like schools. They're all really big issues that affect rural livelihoods. And essentially, I think that America needs people living in rural areas because we need them to be stewards of the land and the water and the air. Um, And because we need them to be stewards of these natural resources, um, they also need to have grocery stores and schools and jobs. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you to the M33 Project for providing the music for this episode. For my co-host, Ian Laird, assistant producer, Kaylee Anagita, and editors, Kelly DeRook, Jack Knowlton, James Marshall, and Wicker Perlis, I'm DC Benincasa. This has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.